0: Bloody Marys, our queer horror movie review uh, (laughs) podcast.
1: This episode, we're reviewing Signs.
0: I'm a terrifying marshmallow man terrorising downtown, (laughs) Alex.
1: And I'm hundreds of tiny spiders laying eggs in your face, Sean.
0: (laughs) You're my eggs. Um, uh, We are two uh, queer non-binary horror nerds. Uh, situated in Hackney, in London. <laughs> We're mixing up the script. <laughs> yeah, I am. Thank you. Our pronouns are... they there. <laughs> um, so, uh, trigger warnings... Um, if you can even call them that, uh, this episode is quite mild. Uh, we've got a little bit of our favourite bereavement. Uh, some spoilers, of course, we love those. And a little bit of the old swearing. Yes. And aliens.
2: And an-aliens.
1: <laughs> Science is a... 2002 sci-fi horror film, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, uh, and it fell betwixt uh, Unbreakable, which came out in 2000, and The Village, which came out in 2004, and is seen by some as the kind of a continuation of a decline in quality since Sixth Sense. Um I would challenge that but oh, that's a conversation oh. for later. <laughs> um it was filmed in 2001 in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Oh man. <laughs> Except uh, the scenes of the house in the cornfield, which is the majority of the scenes, yeah. which were shot uh on uh, the campus of Delaware Valley University, which is an agricultural college so has like 40 acres of land. Um, and right cornfields. Um, the, uh, the aliens, uh, that we see, um, are on screen for about 90 seconds in the whole film. Clever. Um, oh, very clever. And the original design for them was for them to have very feminine builds and movements. Um, and the big tits. <laughs> huge tits. Yeah. <laughs> High heels. <laughs> Long relics. <laughs> we
2: understand women.
0: Is that a woman?
2: <laughs>
1: um, and the uh, so tall, thin women were originally used f- oh. as models for the CGI <laughs> right. um, and are included in some of the scenes, including uh, the birthday party scene where the figure walks past.
0: the young lady.
1: But when we saw more, well, when they saw more of the the, uh, the original designs, it was seen not to be menacing enough. Um, <laughs> ladies aren't scary enough. <laughs> alien ladies are too approachable.
0: <laughs> Mothering. <laughs> uh,
1: so they redesigned them anyway. Um, but then there was also originally a plan for the aliens to be invisible. Um, but it just didn't work. That would have been hard, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, the film, unusually, was almost entirely shot in sequence. Um, apart from one scene, which was out of sequence, which was when. Uh, Mel Gibson's character takes his son outside uh, when he's having the asthma attack at the end, yeah. and they they're all outside, and that's just because it uh, winter was approaching, so they had to get that. Winters scene. a common Mama. Winters a coming, Mama. <laughs> um, so they had to get it over and done with. Um, so uh, the film centres around crop circles initially, um, although the the title of the film is a uh, has a double meaning in terms of the signs of the crop. Fields and the signs laid out by the dying mother. Oh, um, god! Well, and, <laughs> and, uh, god and god. a triple meaning—the um, Holy Trinity. Um, the uh, so crop circles usually appear in wheat fields, but uh, Shyamalan chose cornfields instead because the stalks are taller, mm. so make it a bit more cornfields scary. Are scary, yeah. Um, the uh, the circle, the crop circles were really made. Um, because they didn't want to do any really made, really made <laughs> because they didn't want to. They want to avoid CGI as much as they could.
0: Yeah, um, they're not hard to make, I suppose.
1: Well, not if you're an alien.
0: Yeah, special. <laughs> have you ever been in a crop circle? No, have you? Yeah. Have you? Yeah, there was one in Eastbourne. Well it was outside of Eastbourne. Yeah. I got my mum to stop the car and me and my cousin went and played in it for a second to go the car.
1: <laughs> oh <laughs> I wanted to
0: go in a crop circle. <laughs> I
1: suppose it's probably quite boring. Yeah, I mean yeah, it was running through feel- fields before- of-, of wheat like Theresa May. Yeah, before
0: <laughs> <laughs> before smartphones there's no selfies to be had. Well what a waste of time. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs>
1: Um, so like many of his films, uh, Shyamalan makes a cameo, uh, and well, it's more than a cameo. He plays a role, um, <laughs> um, a cameo, roll. a cameo role, um, <laughs> in a lovely camisole. Um, <laughs> he plays, uh, Ray, the vet. Um, and apparently, uh, Mel Gibson didn't know he was playing the vet until he arrived to do the scene. Um, Why? I don't know.
0: You'd <laughs> be like, you like uh, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> Why are you sitting there in the car crying?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, um, there's been some criticism about uh, Shyamalan casting himself in uh, in his films. Especially, have you seen Lady in the Water? I saw a really bad Pirates version a uh, million years ago, so no. We, we like should watch it sometime. <laughs> I, I, um... I'm actually a really big fan of Chablan's film, but I completely accept all of the criticism. Um, And Lady in the Water is, for all intents and purposes, a shit, shit film. (laughs) But I kind of love it. But he casts himself as a writer who's going to change the world, whose words are too powerful that he needs to be assassinated. And there's been... A bit a lot of criticism <laughs> about who he casts himself as, <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this he is but a lowly vet <laughs> who uh, who accidentally murders someone. <laughs> um, the uh, so the most well known scene from the film is the uh, is the footage that they watch on the news that's filmed by a, a handheld uh, camera of Ooh. a Brazilian birthday party. Um, that what's funny Brazilian birthday party. <laughs> I'd like a Brazilian <laughs> birthday birthday Brazil. please. <laughs> <laughs> um so that scene was shot uh by Shyamalan with a camcorder. Uh in a house full of Brazilian kids,
0: Brazilian screaming children. Yes, a Brazilian of them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and the uh, the the words that one of the kids keeps shouting in uh, Brazilian Portuguese, I guess, yeah. uh, is um, it's behind that garage. It's behind that garage. Um, and this scene was named as one of the scariest movie scenes ever in a list, or in a few lists it's appeared in. Um, the first time I saw it, it I, absolutely sh- <laughs> I absolutely shat myself the first time I saw it, though. I thought it was yeah, terrifying. Yeah, it's
0: funny, though, because I think it hasn't dated that well in terms of a shock. I think we've been kind of overstimulated with, like, shocks. Yeah, I also did.
1: I also don't think the CGI's de- uh, dated very well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's inter- I think that's what really sets this one apart from Shyamalan's other earlier films, is that it has dated more. In the advertising for this film, um, Shyamalan insisted that there would be no reference to Sixth Sense on the poster. No. Um, because he, uh, he wanted it to be seen as a completely separate thing, which of course it is. But I think it's probably because after Unbreakable and Sixth Sense, he was already becoming known as the person who has a twist at the end. And he was probably trying to move away from people expecting there to be a twist. Even though there was. There is sort of a twist, but not as expert. Like it and then the following film, The Village, which I absolutely love, um, has two twists. The twist of Ronies. It is. Uh twin twists. Um the uh he also insisted that there be no image of Mel Gibson's face on the poster because he sees it as too like too ugly. Because <laughs> he um he wanted it to be seen as like an ensemble, oh. um, like a sort of family story rather than kind of basing it off one yeah. well-known figure. Um, so one of his biggest influences for the film uh, was the birds. Um, and he made the cast watch it several times throughout the filming. Keep watching it! Again! <laughs> <man>. <laughs> um, and another influence, which I think is perhaps more apparent... Is uh, the original Night of the Living Dead, and I think
0: oh, he made the children watch Night of the Living Dead. Uh, well, it didn't say that he oh, meant, okay. uh, that was one of
1: his influences. Um, but I mean, I don't think a child would be scared of, like in the early two thousands would be scared of Night of the Living Dead from like the original one because it doesn't. Yeah. Maybe a- anyway, the um, <laughs> but I guess uh, the uh, the influence there is more apparent because it's this like kind of. Um, Global apocalyptic thing happening, but just focusing on one house in the middle of like kind of a rural area. R-
0: <laughs> well, we don't know with birds. Do we know with birds <clears throat> whether it's just happening to that that town or whether it's happening everywhere? I can't remember. I can't remember. Either. Um, no. Anyway, bird again.
1: <laughs> but the difference there is, though, in signs, it's just happening to one family in one house, or we only see it from their perspective. Whereas in birds, although it follows one character, we see lots of people in the in the lots town of affected. People, yes during the scene uh, that's, that keeps that it keeps flashing back to throughout the film where he 's having the final conversation with his wife when she 's pinned to a tree, um, that was filmed on the twelfth of September two thousand and one, um, so the, follow- the day after nine eleven <gasps> Um, so, uh, all of the emotions were quite raw, and, uh, they also held a candlelight vigil, um, before filming it. The actress that plays, uh, Officer Carolyn Paskey, uh, Cherry Jones, Oh um, Keep going. Is a queer woman. Yes. Yes. Um, and she was partners with Sarah Paulson from 2004 to 2009. Aww. And is now uh, married to a different woman.
0: Yes, I saw um, this. That's just very cool. She uh, like has strong Leslie vibes.
1: Yeah, I, I I hadn't really made the connection until I was like researching it. And then I was like, oh yeah, I've seen pictures of her and Sarah Paulson together. I just didn't really put them together. The She would then go on to be in uh, Shyamalan's following film, The Village. As would Joaquin Phoenix. Um, wacky Phoenix? What is his name? No, that's right. I okay. said wacky. Oh. <laughs> um, the, the weakness of the aliens is water, uh, which is also the same as Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable and Glass. His weakness is water. Oh. Um, you I can remember, remember that. Can you remember at the end what, the scene in the swimming pool where he kind of falls through the plastic and he's trapped? It turns oh. out that his, like, kind of, because he's like a superhero and his one weakness yeah, is water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it also, uh, is a bit of a throwback to Dave the Triffids, where ultimately the Triffids are defeated by water. Um, and in a lesser, to a lesser extent, War of the Worlds, where the aliens there are, um, are defeated just by normal, like, human sort of germs and pathogens and stuff.
0: Yeah, I got confused um, with this film. Like, I couldn't remember how they were defeated. And then I remember there is a film, like a recent one, or a recent, recent but like around this era where, like, there's an alien invasion and they're defeated by germs. Yeah, that, um, I think the remake of
1: War of the Worlds that came out with Tom Cruise uh, was maybe 2005, maybe?
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> but actually, that remake has a lot more in common with Signs than it does with the actual story of War of the Worlds because that focuses on one family.
0: Oh. Um,
1: whereas the the book focuses on a man and his wife, and then they pick up other kind of people as they go along. Um, But yes, there are other parallels with uh, War of the Worlds, anyway. Um, The film was mostly well-received. It did very well at the box office. It did well with audiences. Didn't do as well with uh, critics. Um, And I think, perhaps unfairly, uh, too many critics were comparing it unfavourably to Sixth Sense. Um, And uh, one reviewer said that the film left nothing to the audience's imagination, which I disagree with. Do you? I do. Well, um, <clears throat> do you take Umbridge? I take Dolores Umbridge. Um, and uh, and another one said there were no thrills, which again I disagree with. Yeah. Um, but it 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 was probably the last really well re- well well the last fairly well reviewed film of his before the. The the downfall. The downfall. (laughs) Because the village followed, then Lady in the Water, then the Happening, and they were progressively hated more and more and more as they went on. What's the story of the Happening, quickly? The Happening. Actually, the Happening has a similar sort of thing where. So it's where there's like some sort of virus in the wind. Oh, yeah. And it makes people kill themselves. Yes. So I actually really like that film, except the acting is awful. It's got Zoe Deschanel. Not Zoe Deschanel. What's she called? The one Bechamel. off Bechamel. Bechamel. Yeah. Alison Bechamel. Yes, yes. <laughs> What's that one called? Off girls, not girls. New girl. Zoe. I can't remember. It's just that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. in it, and it's it's the worst acting I've ever, ever seen. And also, I think Mark Wahlberg. They're yeah, like the main. Not pack. A great. Actor. <clears throat> but the like the music is brilliant in the happening, and some of the deaths are really cool. And again, that's one of these things where this big apocalyptic thing just kind of blows over because of the the trees or the uh, it's yeah. yeah. I can't remember exactly what it is that defeats them, but um, but yeah, um, but that was dreadfully reviewed. Um, but yeah, that's that's all my uh, all my goss about uh, science. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> uh, that's all my garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Your garbage. You're garbage. Begin with a stirring view of a garden and a swing set. <laughs> stirring, a stirring, uh, which then pans out to show a family photo, which reveals Mel Gibson in a dog collar. <laughs> are they called dog collars? They are. They yeah. are. Priests, that sounded weird. Priests, a priest's, priest's dog collar, yeah. not like a sort of king dog. <laughs> He's a furry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has two children uh, and a wife, or does he? Or
2: does?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, Mel Gibson's play, character is called Father Graham Hess. Don't call me, call me father. Don't call me father. Don't call me angel. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, so he sits up in bed. Uh, he brushes his teeth. I uh, realise <laughs> this is quite a boring <laughs> recap already. Um, and we can see on the wall in his bedroom that there's uh, uh, a, like a discoloured patch where there was a crucifix on the wall. Yeah. Um, and then he hears a scream, uh, a girlish scream from outside. <laughs> uh, yes, thank you. To my Foley artist, uh, Alex. <laughs> um, and then uh, they run outside. At, he runs outside to find out what the screaming is. In a little neighbouring smaller house, uh, his younger brother, Muriel Hess, uh, who is played by Joaquin Phoenix, feels, yes. um, runs out as well. And they run into the big cornfields. Uh, to try and find the source of the screaming. Uh, their children are called Morgan and Beau. Morgan is the boy, Beau is the girl. It could be interchangeable, couldn't it? Yeah, I had to... Yeah, that's why I had to write that down <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> um, quite androge names, quite a queer names. family. <laughs> um, two fathers yes. uh, joined by blood. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, they... Uh, they follow the screams and they find Morgan and they're like where's Bo and then they find Bo and she's in the middle of a huge crop circle and she says uh, she seems like in a bit of a sleepy state and she says to her dad are you in my dream too <laughs> um and then uh there's uh lots of dogs barking the crops are flattened um and then we see an overhead pan and see the big crop circles. Um, so it really gets right into it. Oh, really, the, the crop circles. are there right from the get go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little thing that flashes on the screen saying Bucks County, Pennsylvania.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we then see uh, Father Graham Hess. Don't call me Father on the phone, and he's speaking to his friend, who's the father of a of a boy uh, called Lionel. Um, and he says, "I don't care if it was him. Have a word with him." Uh, I'd feel better if I knew it was Lionel and the Wolfington brothers. Um, and the the person on the phone tells them that it wasn't him because he was watching a movie. Um, and then uh, we find out that the dog has wet itself uh, in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the police. <laughs> and then, uh, by the way, <laughs> and then the dog pisses itself. <laughs> it's very naturalistic. <laughs> um and then, so the, uh, the policewoman arrives, uh, Caroline, or Carolyn, Caroline, I think. Carol um, lesbian. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Quirrellin. <laughs> um, and, uh, and she tells this strange story about how, uh, there was an old woman spitting on news boards who, who hasn't been seen since and she was scaring everyone and it might have been her. Seems so likely that she'd make crop circles. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we then see that they're, um, they're... I think the consensus here is that it's some sort of prank. Uh, we then see them making a barbecue. Um, and Bo is drinking some water and she says... Oh, no, she, she's uh, she's giving the dog some water from a glass. And she says that it tastes contaminated. Um, and that it tastes funny. Um, Morgan tries some and is like, it's fine, it's fine. So he pours it into the dog bowl. Um, and then the dog uh, barks and growls and is being weird. Yeah. Um, and then we see uh, the two grown-up men uh, in the in the crops, uh, and they're uh, oh, and they're still with the police woman at this point, and they're saying that they're noting that the crops have been bent, not broken, mm. and that it's unlikely that machinery would have done that. Um, and uh, Caroline notices uh, notes that uh, some animals in the neighbouring farm have been acting strange and edgy.
0: Edgy animals. Edgy, edgy animals. She couldn't help but notice how edgy the animals were. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, well, and then uh, at this point, uh, Mel Gibson's character tells Caroline to stop calling him father.
0: Yes. Yeah,
1: um, he no longer wears the dog collar, I should probably say. Um, and then he notes that he can't hear his children anymore. So they go and uh, back to the kind of swing set and see that the dead is dog. Ooh, oh, dear. The dog is dead.
0: (laughs) The dead is dog.
1: (laughs) The dead is dog. Uh, The uh, the the end. end. (laughs) The dog is dead um, and has had like a garden tool put through it. Yeah, and it's obvious that it kind of attacked the kids and Morgan defended them. And Morgan says that it wanted to kill Bo, and he like runs off and uh, and Graham comforts uh, Bo. He then tells, uh, Merle to, uh, tie up the other dog, who I think is called, Hmm, I was gonna say Sergeant, but that's the name of the dog yes. in,
2: uh,
1: <laughs> very problematic then. Uh, anyway, the other dog, let's call him uh, Mary. <laughs> um... <laughs> also, the name Murrell really reminds me of, uh, you might not have seen this, but in the second and third series of, uh, League of Gentlemen, there's, like, two old women who work in the charity shop, and they always talk about this other one who you never see, and it's like, oh, that Meryl! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's not, it's not him. Um, so, uh, it's night time, and uh, Father Graham wakes up, and uh, Bo is stood right by his bed and says that there's a monster outside of the room, uh, can I have some water? And he's like, what's wrong with the water in your room? And she says, it's, it's old. <laughs> um, he tucks in Morgan and then uh, has a bit of a chin wag with Bo, who says, uh, why do you talk to mom when you're by yourself? And he says that it makes him feel better. And she asks if uh, she ever answers back, and he says no. And she says, she doesn't answer me either. And then uh, he glances out of the window and sees on the roof of the neighbouring building, uh, which may be Merrill's house or maybe like a barn or something, mm. there is uh, a figure on the roof. Um, yes, and very... <clears throat> the first time I saw this I shat myself at that point as well yeah. There were two bits yes. I'd I done a shat <laughs> That was a shat moment Yes. So he goes and wakes Merrill um, And they hatch a plan uh, To try and catch this thing uh, They think it's uh, Lionel Pritchard And the Wolfington Brothers oh, again Wolfington <laughs> <laughs> Lionel Pritchard <laughs> um, So they have a, a rather Sort of laboured but funny exchange About planning to run around Both okay. sides of the building <laughs> to catch them Um, screaming and cursing. And, uh, the, the former father is, is not on board with, uh, with cursing. And then, uh, he's just like, I don't want to curse. So he's like, well, just make lots of noise. So then they, as they run around, he's going, I'm insane with anger. (laughs) I'm losing my mind. (laughs) And then, uh, they reach in the middle and realize there's no one there. Um, and, but then they hear the sound of, uh, as if someone's got back on the roof. And he's like, are you sure it's Lionel Pritchard? um and then uh i've put in brackets here did he see it which because i think it seemed like maybe merrill
0: well yeah because he recounts uh when he's talking to the police person about it and says it it moved faster than an athlete and it was really tall and mm. stuff. so he must have seen
1: it yeah um and then uh they're saying that it couldn't, nobody could possibly have got up there that quickly and then uh and then we hear a little bit of movement and they turn to face the cornfields and the swing is swinging. Swang is swanging. Swang is swanging. The corn the- is corning. <laughs> <laughs> and the corn is sort of rustling. Um, and then uh, our next scene is the following day and we see Caroline there again and she's letting Morgan play with her walkie-talkie. And... Um, and she tells him that he could use an old baby monitor. And although you'd only be able to... It wouldn't work as so a walkie-talkie because you'd only be able to be hear it one way. That he could use that until she can dig out some old ones that he can have. Oh. Um, and then uh, we, we see around the room and there's lots of glasses of sort of half-drunk water. Uh, like on top of the TV and stuff. Um, and... Uh, Father Graham says to Bo, you're too old for this, for leaving all these glasses around. And he kind of starts to tidy up, but then he sees more, so he just puts them back. Um, and then, uh, Caroline asks Merrill how work is going, uh, at the gas station. He's just kind of like, Muh. 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 and she, and she <laughs> says to him that it was nice of him to move in after dot, dot, dot. Yes. And and he's just like, oh, I don't think it's helping. Um, and she's just like, oh, I think it is. Oh, I think. Oh, it is. it is. <laughs> um, and then uh, they try to describe the person that they saw the night before, but they can't. Um, they know that they were tall. Yeah. And uh, Carolyn makes this very laboured point about how it could be a woman. Yes. <laughs> um and then uh, they ask if. Classic uh... <laughs> I think it must have been a woman. Uh, have you was... had a feminism? <laughs> Which is sexy. <laughs> um, the uh... yeah, she she asks if uh, if there's anyone who has a grudge against him, and then it's like perhaps someone from the church who was angry that you left the church? Question mark. For example. And then. Uh, Bo keeps coming in and interrupting and he's just like asking where the television remote is. And he's just like, can't you just change the channel on the TV? And she's like, I am, but it's the same show on every channel. Yeah. Um, so then they all go in and watch TV and it's breaking news. And it's showing uh, that there are um, a variety of crop circles all across the world. The
0: whole world?
1: Yes. Um, and Morgan is the first to say the words extraterrestrial. Um, the, uh, they're, they're all a bit baffled thinking, you know, could this really be a big coordinated hoax across the whole world? How would that work? Um, it's before the internet be. <laughs> Yes. Um, how would people coordinate? Well, well. <laughs> As Caroline's getting into the car, she says to Graham, um, the children have been through a lot, take their mind off it, take them into the town. Um, and then she very kind of pointedly calls him Graham.
0: Gra- in- Gra- not father. Not father.
1: <laughs> Mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're in the car, they're listening to the radio, but then he, uh, Graham insists on the radio being switched off because it's all just news about these crop circles. Um, they go into the bookshop and... Oh, the kids, they all split up. The kids go into a bookshop mm. um, and uh, uh, they... He, uh, Morgan is looking for A book about aliens uh, Which he is directed to Very specifically She Ooh. says it's on the last row Third book in Ooh. Which I'm sure no bookshop book. I know It's really weird um, Graham meanwhile Has gone to the pharmacy And is trying to get uh, Some asthma medication For Morgan uh, Tr- Tracy, who is the the young uh, woman behind the counter at the pharmacy, asks if she could uh, clear her conscience and he's like, I'm not a father anymore, I'm not a priest anymore, and she says that she's scared of the end of the world. And then Merrill has gone to this uh, sort of military recruitment place. I oh, know, yeah, it's such a weird... Um, <laughs> yeah. just, I just need to run into town to the military <laughs> recruitment office. Um, and we get a bit of his backstory. Um the the guy the military man says that uh that he thinks it's about uh that all of this these crop circles are about probing which is like a military tactic um and it's Too a way yeah. <laughs> don't ask don't tell. <laughs> um and that the the purpose of probing is to investigate uh and no. then <laughs> um to sexually investigate <laughs> Um, for yeah. the purpose of reporting back to the rest of them. Yeah. Um, so we find out that uh, that Merrill is a sort of failed baseball star who was known for hitting a 507 footer. Um, yeah. That's the big one. Struth. Struth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the guy says, he recognised him, and he's like, why, why aren't you a pro? Um... And uh and then there's another guy there who is signing up who obviously went to knew him from college or school or something, probably school, um, and says uh Oh, he was uh he was also the top the like the top of the list of most strikeouts or something. Yeah. I don't know what I didn't would understand it was. that either, Well, I, he
0: wasn't actually that good yeah. in
1: some sports terms. Yeah, so <laughs> I think the idea is, so he says that he his instinct is to hit the bat as hard as he could, um, and he could do it as 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 well as anyone, but it also meant that he would also strike, strike out. out a lot, or something about so balls. Some words some about balls. Words about balls. <laughs> um, uh, so we go back to the bookshop, and Bo is complaining about the taste of the water in the bookshop, um, and uh, Morgan's just like, oh, ignore her to the bookshop owner, and says that it's just like a tick that she's always had. Uh, we go back to the pharmacy, and Tracy is confessing to the uh, former father, saying that she uh, she's, like, confessing about her use of poor language. And she's like, is douchebag a curse? <gasps> <laughs> um, and then we see them all um, sat around eating pizza together, and uh, the, uh, the father's just like, uh, don't spend time with Tracy Abernacle. <laughs> I like that as well. Same. So, um, <laughs> and then uh, we see our first glimpse of... M Night Shyamalan as Ray, although at that po- this point we don't know who he is. He's outside getting into a car, and uh, Graham locks eyes with him, and uh, Morgan spots that him and Marilyn are both looking, and that he's looking back, and he's like, "Is that him?" And he's like, uh, and both like, "Who? Who?" And they're like, "No one, no one." So they are then in the car going back, and the baby monitor is buzzing. Um, it is buzzing. Oh, it's buzzing. Um, and they're saying that uh, that they're picking up. The, well, Morgan thinks they're picking up the uh, the alien signal. Um, and uh, M- Meryl kind of goes off on of one saying that aliens don't really exist. It's just nerds, uh, a hoax by nerds who can't get girlfriends and blah blah blah. And then uh, Bo's just like, "Why can't they get girlfriends?" <laughs> Bo is a cutie. Yeah. So they then start, well, they then start to hear kind of voices on the, f- on the, uh, the monitor, but it's more like, uh, sort of like clicks and beeps. It's sort of like dolphin noises or something. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Thank you. Um, and, uh, Morgan says he can hear them and Beau's like, I can hear them, Morgan. <laughs> uh, and, and the adults are like, it's probably just picking up another baby monitor and uh, Graham's like, this is why we're not watching TV. But then when they get out of the car, when they're back at home, they realize that the signal is getting stronger and the sounds are getting more clear. And they realize that the higher you hold it, the more you can hear it. So they all end up sitting on top of the, on the roof of the car um, and they hear the clicking. And then they notice that there are two voices and that they're communicating with each other. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, so at nighttime, uh, the dog is
0: barking at the cornfields. So at night time, the dog <laughs> is barking. <laughs> yes. It's like a poem, anyway. isn't? <laughs> feel?
1: Um, oh, this is what the dog's called, Isabel. That's silly. Isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Um, and uh, <laughs> this is quite a funny line, actually. Uh, Father Graham says, "Isabel, you're gonna feel silly when this all turns out to be make believe." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he goes into the the corn with uh, with torch, and he can hear that clicky sound um and then he ends up walking into the big clearing where the of the crop circle and he's like you're wasting your time kids you're not going to get famous and then he hears the clicking right behind him um he uh he drops the torch out of fright and then he bends over and as he picks up the torch
0: he gets <laughs> yeah <laughs> he
1: gets probed <laughs> he um he sees uh, a very slender leg uh disappearing into the Slag. corn uh, yeah, he's got a
0: glimpse of an ankle. It's quite scandalous. Oh, scandalous! <laughs> she wasn't even wearing a stocking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, I'm twirling. <laughs> uh, back in the house, um, uh, Merle is reading some army propaganda, um, and the kids are washing the dishes and having lols. Um, and then uh, Father Graham comes in and is just like, "Okay." Let's turn on the TV. So he's obviously a bit more convinced now. Now that he's seen an alien, <laughs> I suppose he
0: would be scandalised by an alien
1: ankle. <laughs> so now there is uh, the news is uh, it's a, a sort of like a fixed shot of the sky over Mexico City, and there are a number of like static lights um, hovering over like UFOs, and the news people are saying that it's not being detected by radars. Uh, the kind of Mexican. Air authorities and the US air <laughs> authorities. I don't know what they're called. Don't know. The bosses of the air, <laughs> the, uh, the air queens. H air. Um, and then they decide to record the news because this is history. Blah 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 blah. Um. And they record it over some, like, kind of swimsuit competition or something that uh, Meryl's <laughs> taped. Um, so then uh, the kids fall asleep on the sofa. And uh, Meryl and Graham have a bit of a heart-to-heart. And Meryl's like, do you think it could be the end of the world? And Graham says, yes. And Meryl- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, TBH. Yeah. Uh, might as well. Um, and... Uh, Meryl kind of directly asks for some comfort and that's really what he was hoping to get. <laughs> um, and then uh, Graham has this monologue about luck and this kind of like forms this whole sort of crux of the story really and the relevance of the, the title. And he says that there are two kinds of people uh, or two, two kinds of people when it comes to responding to something that's happening. This is obviously paraphrased. Some people believe that it means that there's something greater and that there's something looking out for them and watching them. And they see these as signs and as miracles. And then there are others who just see it as luck and something that's happening and that they feel alone. And like, there's nothing kind of beyond that.
0: When you said there's two kind of people well, it reminded me of uh, two it, kinds it. of well, people. <laughs> that, that actually, but also um, in Pimp Flamingos, so I think it's mixed still says, there's two kind of people in the world. My kind of people and assholes. <laughs> That's better. <Yeah.
1: laughs> um, so, uh, uh, Merle then responds with an example of a miracle that happened to him. And he's talking about how at a party he was sitting next to a girl that he was sweet on. Oh, he was um, not sweet on. Oh, <laughs> they'd be in a carton. <laughs> um and he uh he was gonna go in for a kiss but then he decided he realized he had chewing gum in his mouth so he took out the chewing gum and at that point uh the woman threw up and he was just like uh if i'd have been like a second earlier and not taken the chewing gum out that could have been in my mouth and it would have traumatized me yeah it would have ruined my life yeah (laughs) and he says so i'm a miracle man those lights are a miracle and then he's uh like which are you and then Graham says, do you feel comforted? And he says, yes. And he's like, then what does it matter? What does it even matter? And then he tells him that, so he mentions Colleen. And this is the first very explicit time we hear that mother is definitely dead, I think. Mother. But I think it was very clear up to this point. She's called Colleen. Um, and her last words, he says, were to say, um, sw- were saying s- words. <laughs> her last words were swing away. Um which is what she would they would always say when they watched uh Merle playing baseball. And he then goes on to say, but that, you know, I don't see that as a miracle. Her nerve endings were dying and it just triggered a, a random memory. Uh no one is watching us, Merle, we're all alone. Uh so we then see um we then flash back to uh to the scene where his wife died, or at least part of it. So he's driving to a crash scene at night. Uh, there's lots of, his kind of mostly lit by sirens, looking very sad and shaken. <laughs> lit
0: by police lights, not lit by sirens. <laughs> The sound of silence <laughs> He's lit by noise He's, quite, he's hour, hourly lit
1: <laughs> um, And he's greeted by uh, Caroline Who's wearing like a big hat And this scene For anyone who's seen the, the uh, scary movie That spoofs signs There's a really weird bit That really sticks with me And kind of takes me out of this moment In the film because of it and it's, like, every time you see Caroline, like, the brim of her hat gets a bit bigger until she's just wearing this massive hat. <laughs> um, but anyway, she's wearing a normal-sized hat. Um, and she uh, she greets uh, Graham and is just like, what do you know, father? And he's like, I know that there was a, a crash and that she's very seriously injured. Um, and uh, she's just like, uh, yeah, the guy who hit her just fell asleep. Um and she says uh, Ga- uh, Graham says, Is he okay? And Caroline's like, That's the first thing Colleen said too. Oh. And he's just like, Oh, so she's uh so she's speaking. Uh, can I can I see her? Like, can, can I, I, for example, talk to her? <laughs> he's like, uh, which ambulance is she in? And she's like, She's not in an ambulance, father. And then uh and then Back to the Present, we Ooh. see uh, Graham waking up. Uh and Merrill has moved... He's on his own now. The others aren't there. Um, and he's... Uh, Merrill has moved the television into the cupboard. Yeah. Uh, and uh, is sitting watching it. And he, sh- he shows him that the... Uh, although it's daytime and they're still showing the, the sky above uh, Mexico City, the lights aren't there anymore or they can't be seen because it's daytime. Um, and it looks like there's nothing there. But they believe that there's something still there because earlier there was a scene where a bird flew into the uh the into <laughs> in, into the side of it and it looked like it hit a wall and then it just fell. And he says that it's been it's been replayed um over and over again. Um I, I like that they don't actually show that. I think they very easily could have.
0: Yeah, I had to make that look interesting. I think. <laughs> yeah.
1: Apparently there is a, there was a deleted scene of uh a bird falling out of the sky. Oh.
0: Um
1: I think. Uh in, in like around the farm.
0: That's all.
1: Um, the uh, So he says that the reason he's moved the TV in there is because the kids were coming obsessed and obviously the, the lol wear is that obviously Meryl has he become obsessed. quite obsessed. Um, so he comes, he goes, and ha- Graham goes and has a shower and then when he comes out, the kids are wearing tinfoil hats. Um, <laughs> and cute, tinfoil hats. They look like uh, Hershey Kisses. They do! <laughs> um, and uh, Morgan, well they're both reading from the book that Morgan bought earlier. And he says that they're um, that they're, and uh, Graham is kind of taking the piss out of this book. Um, yeah. And the name of the the Doctor uh, Bimbo, who, <laughs> who wrote the book, um, my alien expert drag name would be Doctor Bimbo. Subtle. <laughs> there ain't there ain't nothing I don't know about aliens.
0: And in. <laughs>
1: Um, so, uh, Morgan says that he's learned that there are two reasons for aliens, uh, visiting Earth. There's two
0: reasons for aliens. Yes.
1: <laughs> One, uh, is for exploration. Okay. And the other is for, uh, is with sort of hostile, hostile intentions, intent. uh, to kind of take over, or to kind of take over and take their resources, because they've run out of resources. Um, and then there are lots of, like, uh, pictures in this book. Some of them are, like, kind of cartoon oh. aliens, um,
0: it's my favourite kind of artwork I wish there was a collection of it it's basically like the kind of drawings that people who say that they experience aliens draw after their encounters so they're like just like normal plebs trying to create artwork that just demonstrates the harrowing experience It's they <laughs> said children of <or> children <laughs> <laughs> my favourite ever this
1: is deeply inappropriate my favourite ever artwork I've ever seen is when uh, <laughs> is, is, the, is the first like uh, what they call like it's just not an identity... You know, like, when they get the artist to do the, oh, the artist right, yeah. sketch of, a, like, a, a criminal. Um, they released an artist's sketch when Madeleine McCann first went Ooh, missing. Wow. And it's basically just an oval... <laughs> With some hair. <laughs> Have I showed you it before? Oh, yes. I and mean, it's yeah. like, do you recognize this man? It's like, it's, it's, it's not a man. <laughs> it's an oval it's with an hair. Egg. I mean, I suppose what are men if not ovals yeah. with hair? Sometimes <laughs> and sometimes that is ovals. <laughs> um, so interestingly, these images in the book were all drawn by, uh, Shyamalan's daughter. Oh, really? Yeah, including the good one. So there's like a painting. Oh, the, one um, the house? Yeah, so then there's like I a know, double page actually. picture where it's uh, a UFO like kind of shooting fire down and setting fire to a farmhouse that looks suspiciously like the one they're in. Um, and the dad kind of points out that it looks very much uh, like it. And then the, uh, he looks down further on the painting and there are three bodies lying in the foreground mm. at the front. Uh, uh, the front at the foreground, on the foreground. The foreground, the foreground front. front. <laughs> um, and then the phone rings and they all get fright. Uh, so he, uh, Graham that is, answers the phone. And a voice, a very quiet voice says, Father. And then, um, and then he's like, hello, hello. And then it just goes quiet. And then the the camera kind of pans out and just like a wide shot. And we see like the mother's uh, dress hanging on a like a, a dummy. So he hangs up, um, but it seems like he knows who it was. Um, and we find out that he, he, did, he, did. Yes, <laughs> um, he did. Yeah. Who it was. And then we see the kids looking through a telescope um, and uh, inside through the window. And then Morgan says to Beau, do you have one of your feelings? And she says, yes. And uh, uh, which is one of many hints that, uh, that Beau has some sort of uh, some s- sensory gifts Magical powers. Yes, um, and then he says, "I don't want you to." She says, "I don't want you to die." And he's like, "I'm not going to die." Thank you. <laughs> Father Graham then gets in the car and drives to uh, to Ray's house. So he, um, uh, we see a sign outside that Ray is a veterinarian. Um, He goes up to the window He knocks on the door The house looks empty And it also is in disarray The chairs have been Tipped over and stuff
0: Ray's house is in disarray? Disarray
1: (laughs) The veterinarian Um, The uh, He then uh, Turns around And sees uh, The Ray is sitting in his car And the car So he he approaches it And the car is all Packed up There's loads of stuff in it And uh, He's looking Ray's looking very shaken And also has a little Patch of blood On his jacket um, and he says, uh, I think, um, Graham says that he knew that it was him on the phone. Um, and Ray says that he's had his phone number next to his phone for the last six months. Um, and, uh, he's been meaning to call him for a long time. And when he knew that it was in the house, uh, it, it he, he didn't know who else to call. Um, and he then, it then becomes very apparent that he was the man driving the car. That killed his wife. And he says, I've never fallen asleep at the wheel before. Um, it was like it was, it was meant to be. Which <laughs> is a very cruel thing to yeah! say, I think, but I it does think make sense in the I wider was narrative. was tired. It was meant to be. <laughs> um, and he was like, if, if I'd have crashed anywhere else on that road, there wasn't a car in, in Miles. But I, I happened to fall asleep at <laughs> the Unconfused. moment that she was passing. Thank you. Um, um, and then he says that he's going to the, uh, going to the lake. Uh, and that he, he doesn't think they like water. And Graham's like, did you see something? Um, and he says, I'm, I'm sorry that I made you question your face. Uh, question, question.
2: your face? <laughs> <laughs> sorry I made
0: you question your face! <laughs> that face on your face! <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: he says, I'm sorry I made you question your faith <laughs> um Father Graham looks a little teary and he accepts the apology and then uh and then Ray says uh don't open my pantry I locked one in there and then he drives off he locked one in the pantry
0: in the pantry
1: oh my um there's a stranger in my pantry <laughs> with long fingers and slender legs <laughs> Um, so then we, we cut back to Merle, who's sat watching, uh, the TV in the little cupboard. And it says, there's a bit like saying, uh, the news person is saying, this footage may disturb you, it was shot in Brazil at a seventh birthday party. Um, and then we see the video where, um where there are loads of kids in party hats kind of scrabbling to the window trying to see something mm. and then obviously an adult in the background who's filming on a shaky camcorder um, who's trying to see through the window and they're all kind of shouting in manic and then they run through to a different window and he, uh, the, whoever's filming follows and then uh, it's just watching sort of the end of an alleyway and then uh, the alien walks past and kind of looks at them but it's very, very quick. Yeah. Um, and no, everyone screams Everyone screams Including Meryl Who's watching it Yeah And including the whole world Who are watching it At the time At the time um, I, s- <laughs> I, I screamed you Were screamed? you scared the first time you saw this
0: uh, You know, I don't scared Of anything But yeah I think I did That it was a Good scoop
1: I remember watching it And um I watched it On my own Thinking it wouldn't be scary Because I just couldn't imagine How I could find An alien film scary But I ended up shitting myself. Oh, like, there was just was shit and everywhere. Shit. And <laughs> <scares>. <laughs> um uh, then we go back to uh the vet's house and there is a table barricading um a door, which is obviously the pantry door, and there's uh there's a little crack under the door and you can see that there's movement behind it. Um and then uh Father Graham says Hello <laughs> and then he's like <laughs> The the police say here we know about the hoax. <laughs> he's like, um, uh, he's like, we've got the other kids back in the station. <laughs> uh, then we see an assortment of uh, miscellaneous vegetable choppings oh, yeah. on the counter. Doing a lemon. Yeah, things that don't look like they go together very yeah, well. Lovely lemon and carrot pie. <laughs> Um, and he grabs a knife, uh, like a, a big knife from there, and, uh, and looks at his reflection in it and kind of slides it under the door to see if he can see reflection. But he can just see kind of uh, shelves full of pantry supplies. <laughs> um, and then uh, he decides just to walk away. Uh, and then he changes his mind and, and goes back. And he kind of gets back down on his knees. And as he's about to put the knife back under, a very slender hand uh, shoots out. And he just instinctively chops at it and chops off three of fingers. And then it makes like a screamy sound and he screams. We
0: all scream. We all scream for ice cream. (laughs)
1: Um, We then see uh, Meryl sat with the two kids and now all three of them are wearing tinfoil hats. A vaguely interesting fact about the hats... They weren 't actually tinfoil. they were made uh from beeswax paper and uh painted with chrome doesn't seem worth sharing two shape so Graham has arrived home and uh and sees the three of them sat in tinfoil hats. And he starts to ask uh, Morgan about what he's learned from this book. It's it's weird that Morgan becomes the like authority on this after <laughs> purchasing a book the day before, <laughs> um, written by some quack called Doctor Bimbo. Um, <laughs> uh, and he says that the uh, that they that the aliens par- the aliens apparently have uh, are like chameleons and their skin changes colour in response to their environment. So sometimes you can't see them. Um, and he says, uh, Graham says, what would happen if they were hostile? Uh, does it say in your book what would happen if they were hostile? And he says that, um, that, uh, that they would probably fight in hand-to-hand combat because they wouldn't use, uh, weapons or anything else because they know that humans would respond with nuclear weapons, um, and he says, what would happen? he says there are two outcomes in the book. This is a very Shyamalan thing. In Lady in the Water, it's all very, like, specific bullet-pointed, like, details <laughs> yeah! about all of the possible outcomes. But, um, so he says there are two outcomes. One is that if they're overcome, they retreat and become better prepared and then return in hundreds and th- or thousands of years hundreds to try again. and thousands <laughs> <laughs> And the alternative is, uh, they win. Um... Yeah, he says w- are they um are they afraid of water, which is obviously what he heard from um or I've heard they d- they don't like water or something which he heard from the vet and uh, the boys just like that sounds made up. <laughs> um unlike all of the peer reviewed yes. information he's shared um don't so he uh he then reveals to them that he's seen an alien. Uh although he doesn't call him an alien and he says we have two options. We either go to a lake um, because they don't like water. Or um, we stay here at home and they have a vote. And then the vote doesn't go his way. He wants to go to the lake. Um, but he says he gets two votes because he's voting on behalf of two parents. And then Bo changes her vote. So it's still all against him. Oh. Uh, because, and the, the, the logic is because Morgan says, I want to be at home. I feel safe here. Like, this is where my mom lived um Mom. blah 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 so they decide to do that so they say that on the news there are more lights uh including within uh all of the lights are appearing within one mile of crop circles um and uh merrill makes reference to war of the worlds he says this is like war of the worlds um and he, uh, the news says that people are rushing to temples synagogues and churches and the newscaster says, uh, God be with us all. <gasps> and then there's a close-up of uh, Father Graham looking conflicted. Mm. Because he's had his face challenged. <laughs> he's facially challenged. He's a man of face. <laughs> <laughs> face no more <laughs> <laughs> faceless ah! <laughs> without face some <laughs> <Stop>. um, <laughs> people have face um, <laughs> we then have uh, Morgan uh, who is being comforted by Merrill, and Meryl says don't worry I'm not going to let anything happen again meaning that they've already been through something quite traumatic uh, with the mother um, and he says I wish you were my dad and Merrill's like don't say that you can't and then uh, they're boarding up windows, then just for fun, they all have different meals, um, and they're sat around the table, and Morgan wants them to say a prayer, Um, and uh, the former father says no, and insists that they don't, and then Morgan kind of flips and says, I hate you, you let mom die, Um, and then uh, Father Graham kind of goes off on one and says I'm not wasting one more second on prayer Beau's crying um, and he just starts eating everyone's food angrily Mm. and then eventually he starts to cry as well and then they all come in for a big four way hug yeah
0: big hug and they all cry (laughs)
1: after spending hours making elaborate meals they don't eat yes they have a a weepy cuddle puddle (laughs) and then the tender and harrowing moment is interrupted by noise on the baby monitor um, and they go into the little cupboard and the TV is now not showing anything. So it's like got the sort of no signal page or whatever. It's not page. You know what I mean? I do, like yeah, if, I it, if it was here, it would have the little girl and the clown and the, <laughs> <laughs> and the so blackboard. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they run out of boards as they're boarding up all of the windows. So they decide they're just going to board up the bedroom doors upstairs because they can't board up the windows there. And just before they do, uh, we see... Graham looking out of one of the bedroom windows, and it's very obvious that he sees something. Um, and he's like, hurry up, board up this one, blah, blah. Um, and then uh, there's he's telling a story to kind of, I guess, to cheer up Bo and Morgan, saying that Bo was the most beautiful baby anyone had ever seen, um, and that she smiled when she was born when they first looked. And he's like, they say babies don't smile, but you did. And then... Um, they realise they've forgotten the dog and they've left the dog outside. Put Isabel. Isabel. Yes, and they hear the dog barking, and then oh, it, yeah. it stops, and then starts to like weep, and then I hate that film It Doesn't make any... you know, it <laughs> just like that. <laughs> um, and then they're like, "Shall we turn off the lights?" And uh, Graham's like, "They already know we're here." Um, and then they hear the creatures creeping around the house, like around the outside of the house. Um, and sort of banging, um, and then to kind of distract them, uh, he then tells the story of Morgan's birth, um, and then while he's doing that, Merrill and Bo are responding to the sounds of the creatures, and he's like, "It's on the roof, I can hear it." and then it's like crashing upstairs, and um, and he talks about how when Morgan was born, him and his his wife like dreamt of of what his what he would look like before he was born. And then when he was born, he was completely silent and they just stared at each other. And And the mother had said, you look exactly as I dreamed. Um, so then uh, they decide to go down into the cellar. And there's a bit which I'd forgotten about, actually, which is as they're running to the cellar, Morgan looks back and this little hand comes under the door. Mm. But only Morgan sees and he doesn't tell anyone about it. And then, I can't remember what triggers this, but the... Uh, but Graham says, stop that, you're scaring your sister when they're down in the cellar. And she's like, I'm already scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we see that, so they're, they're kind of trying to kind of seal off any spaces in the, in the cellar. And then the, uh, the handle, the door handle rattles. Um, and he's like, pass me something to wedge the door or something. And uh, Merle grabs an axe and like swings it up and it smashes the bulb. So they're now in darkness. Um, So he wedges the door with the axe and then they switch on some torches. Um, And they realise that the... that the the creatures outside the door are just making noises and don't actually seem to be really trying to get in. And he's like, they're distracting us. Uh, And Morgan's like, they're good problem solvers because he's the resident alien expert. (laughs) And then uh, uh, Graham remembers that there's a coal chute down there. Shoot! Shoot! Um, which is also a bit of a throwback to War of the Worlds because they hide in a coal uh, shed.
0: Um, Not worth sharing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um... (laughs) So anyway, they find the coal shed, and then uh, he's like, here it is, and then Morgan is stood in front of it, and then uh, he's like, what? Why are you looking at me? And then uh, an arm comes through the coal chute and grabs him. Grabs him? and then the torch the drops on the floor. And then we The
0: hear- tall orch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then we hear, uh, like, scuffling. And then, uh. And then I think Bo picks up the torch and looks around. And we see, uh, Merle is now packing up bags of sand in front of the coal chute. And, uh, and the torch pans around to, uh, Graham and Morgan. And Morgan is now having an asthma attack. And he's sort of, like, sitting in between his dad's legs and he's kind of, like, clutching onto he's,
0: him. Uh, he says, like, uh, we don't have his medication.
1: Yeah, and, um... uh And he's saying, like, breathe with me, feel my chest, full uh And, uh, Beau says, I dreamed this. And this is obviously why she said earlier that she didn't want him to die. Um And the, the father's saying, don't do this to me again, not again. I hate you. Um Imagine being the boy and just be like... Me? <laughs> no, God. <laughs> um... And he's saying, "Don't be afraid; it'll pass." And then uh, it keeps showing uh, the boy's hands like gripping on his jeans, and then we, his hands like loosely uh, uh, loosen gradually. Um, and then uh, it's it's actually a bit vague because uh, it suggests that he could have died as well. Yeah, like, I remember
0: yeah, it-, it doesn't seem much So it's no like. Oh, you're okay. It was just so
1: silence. Yeah. Um, and the silence is broken by... He he does survive. And the silence is broken by Merrill saying, uh, let's save the flashlight. So they switch them all off. Um, and then we uh, are then taken back to uh, the scene of Colleen's death, the mother. So uh, she's been pinned... Uh, we It turns out in this conversation with Caroline that she's been pinned between the truck and and a tree. So she walking was she was hit uh, while she was out walking, and she said uh, she can speak quite normally, but uh, she can't be saved. The truck is essentially holding her together, and uh, they've kept her there so that he could speak to her. And he says, is this the last time I'm going to speak to my wife? And she says yes. And we see a quick glimpse of Ray sat in the ambulance, looking very sort of shaken up and harrowed. Um, and then we go back to the... Uh, the cellar um they've it seems they've had a sleep um a 12 hour sleep actually well, yeah. um Maril has found some light bulbs so there's light again and he's he's managed to get the radio to work or at least the radio is working again um <laughs> what do you mean i mean well obviously before uh, when they tried there was oh, no radio I see, I see, I see. um so um they uh he says they're leaving um the they're all leaving. They've left behind their wounded, um, but they've been scared off by something. Um, and then he then kind of has a bit of a go at Graham and is just like, "I can't take my older brother losing uh, his faith again. Um, I don't want to see your eyes have a look like that again." And the uh, father Graham's very sort of contrite and
0: yes, I'm sorry, I'm very contrite. Yes, um,
1: and then he's just like, uh, "Morgan needs his medication. We need to go back." back up and then they listen to the baby monitor and it sounds clear so they're like it's good enough for me um so they go back up the stairs uh father graham is carrying his son and he say we'll need to get get him his syringe as well we'll need to give him a shot uh he lies him uh he lies him on the sofa and then bo runs out of the little cupboard and is just like they're doing this on the tv and she does like a little celebration dance um and then uh and he say, uh, he says to Morgan, do you want me to, to bring the TV in here? And he says, yes. So he goes in and wheels the TV in. And then we just see, in the reflection of the TV, a big alien figure standing in the room, um, kind of holding uh, Morgan in a really weird way. Ooh. And he's got his back to the window. So we, or she. Or they. Or they. So the alien has uh, has its back to the window. So we only really see it in silhouette. But it's kind of holding... Morgan, almost like a sort of like pieta, like kind of like a. a What's sp- a pieta? Oh, it's like, you know, like the, the, uh, Mary holding dead Jesus. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's like sort of limp and sort of, but then also like kind of suspending him in the air. Um, and, uh, is making a little clicking noise. Now we go back to the, this is the final, uh, flashback. Um,
0: the final flashback. Da, da,
1: da. <laughs> At least I think it is. It yeah, about five <laughs> Um And then, so he's now speaking to his wife, who is pinned up against the tr- the truck, having a little rest on the. On the just <laughs> I'm having a best, <laughs> living a best death. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's just like. I was just having a walk before dinner. Um, and she also says it was meant to be. She says uh, she doesn't... She reassures them that she doesn't feel any pain. And she's like, tell Morgan to play games. Uh, tell uh, Beau to always listen to her brother. He'll always take care of you. Um, and tell Meryl, swing away. And then uh, she dies. Then she um, dies. Then dies. Um and then we see a little uh, flashback to when they were sat in the uh, on the sofa, and Graham was saying there are those who see uh, signs uh, as miracles, uh, and there are those who, uh, yeah, uh, and who don't believe in coincidences. And then we see him back in the present, and this he sees the uh, the baseball bat on the wall, like h- hanging on the wall with like a plaque about his five hundred and seven runs or throws or hits or whatever it was, miles, probably not miles, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he says, swing away, Merle, and Merle picks up the bat.
0: For a second, Merle looks a bit like, what? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, they're all just swingers. Yeah. <laughs> um And then... uh The creature... um, Actually, one bit that I missed earlier is that he says that there are lots of... uh, Lots of people have died after... When he hears on the radio, when uh, Graham wakes up, that lots of people have died because they've been spraying, like, a poison gas. Mm. Um, And he's... uh, And this creature is, like, spraying the gas into Morgan's face from almost, like, the wrist where... Mm. Like, where Spider-Man shooters load... (laughs) His his webby load. Um and then uh the Bo screams and then Merle hits him swings away and hits him with the bat, and then uh we see like a little view through one of the water glasses that uh Bo has left all over the place. And uh and he the alien like staggers back and hits into the TV or something and it falls on his shoulder and like kind of burns through his flesh. Um, and, uh, Morgan and, you know, Graham and Merrill both like look at Bo as if to say, did you know about this? Did you know, <laughs> Bo? And Bo just looks very sort of like innocent. But no, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, so we see that then this is kind of the defeat of the, uh, the alien because... Um, so, obviously, the water is the weakness, and uh, Meryl hit, is hitting him, either hitting the alien into the glasses or hitting the, the glasses onto him, mm. until uh, they all fall, loads of glasses fall on him. They all
0: fall down. They all
1: fall down, and he dies, and we just see the alien's reflection lying on the floor, sort of uh, steaming away steaming. in the TV. Gross. So, then, they uh, they all run outside with, uh, with the... Uh, I was going to say with the body, but he's not dead. With the sun's (laughs)
0: limp, With the living body. (laughs) With the living body. (laughs) The living cadaver
1: Um (laughs) the sun. Um, And then he's obviously now realising more signs and more kind of miracles and non-coincidences. And he's like, this is why he had asthma. He'd had an asthma attack and his lungs were closed. Um, please let his lungs have been closed. And then he wakes up and he's like, Dad, what happened? So he didn't get the poisonous gas in him because his lungs were closed. Um, and then, uh, that, we, it pans out, it fades out. And then the final scene is, uh, we see that it's snowing outside to signify that time has passed. (laughs) Pasta. Um... And then uh, I've written back in the habit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We see (laughs) Sister Act 2 back in the habit. Uh, (laughs) And then we see that he's now back in his habit, (laughs) by which I mean his dog collar. Yes. Um, His priestly wares. Yes. And in the background, we can hear the kids laughing. And he puts on a watch and his blazer. And it ends. (laughs)
0: Well, well, well then. Should we do a little bit on representation? Why not? Why the hell not? Why the fuck not? (laughs) Uh, So, start with women's. Yes. Um, There's not many, but um, there's also not many people in this film.
1: No. Um, And the kind of dynamics of the family are mainly that there is a missing woman.
0: (laughs) There is a void of a woman. (laughs) Yes.
1: Um... Yeah, so uh, Co- we don't really hit. We don't really learn much about Colleen apart from her dying moments. Yeah, um, and there's one thing that she says which troubled me, which is in her die. And obviously, I can't blame it too much. She was dying. She was pinned against a truck. But she said, "And you don't come out with your greatest singers when you're pinned against a truck." <laughs> I've found, I don't know about anybody else. Um, where she says, like her advice for Morgan is to like have fun, play. Oh, yeah. And the advice for Bo is listen to your brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought um, that as well. All especially right. since uh ultimately it's not the brother who saves it who looks out for the sister, it's her that kind of saves the day by her foresight of uh, Bruce's water. foresight of uh water. having water everywhere water, water water everywhere but not a drop to drink.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yes. Um and then there's Caroline.
0: Yeah, who I think is cool actually. Like, yeah, she's, she's like a boss lady
1: as far as police people go. That's a cab. But she is a good character um and I wonder if the if there's a hint of a little bit of potential future romance between her and Graham. Um mm, she's a lesbian. So but she I'm is sure. a lesbian, so but I guess the most central woman character is it seems strange calling her a woman because she's four. A tiny woman. But a tiny woman called Bo. <laughs> um and she she's kind of like the mystical character, isn't she? She's Yeah. She
0: brings levity and whimsy, but also wisdom. Yes. yeah whimsydom. <laughs> whimsy Uh, And there's the woman in the bookshop. She knows exactly where the book is. She knows
1: she's good at her job. Yes, (laughs) she's amazing. She's um, the best woman. Yeah. So, I mean, interesting though, I wonder if it actually passes the Bechdel test. It probably doesn't.
0: Oh, yeah, no, it doesn't.
1: Um, Unless... Like Bo and the police woman have a conversation, but I'm not. I'm not oh, sure they
0: Byron do. So it's the woman in the shop, yeah, who's not named. That wouldn't yeah, pass, yeah, no. <laughs> Mrs. Bookshop, Mrs. Bookshop. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's. I, I,
1: I'm I'm not too distressed by the representation of women because I think it's a film about a family where the mother has died. So it's. Um, I mean, well, ultimately, also she she. Her death was part... Yeah, and also her death was part of a bigger thing. It was like... um, Her death was in order to save the family from... It was all part of... It was all the The signs. It was part of the greater plan, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a tricky one, I think.
0: Yeah. I think it's okay, because it is a small family and... uh, It's funny though, because I always think um, that—I mean, it's not really related to women—but that Mel Gibson is quite kind of um, has little effeminate edges when he acts in a way that I really enjoy. It's a little bit of kind of like softness and ladiness sometimes that just comes through, and I, I don't know what it is, but yeah, and it's in this film when he was being a bit silly or a bit kind of like jokey, he just has this kind of like soft like. The lady vibe try uh, I
1: enjoy <laughs> yeah the um have you seen the film What Women Want yeah yeah <laughs> I actually really love that film yeah. it's like it's not normally a genre I get super excited about but um I really like him in that film um, yeah I agree I think he's I think he's a good actor I think he's obviously a very problematic person but his uh but, but is
0: he again? Is he a Scientologist or a Christian? Or I
1: think he's, I, I don't know the story, but I think he's anti-Semitic.
0: Oh, I think there was yeah.
1: something about that fil- that Passion of the Christ film that he oh, made. God, yeah. that, I, I can't remember the story because I'm not interested in straight men, but, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> but something bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's, and I think it, yeah, it's, it kind of follows the model of the previous films where it's like this fairly, un- fairly new and unknown director still. I mean, he's not unknown anymore, but he's still new. It's only his third feature film um and like the first two we had like bruce willis as his centerpiece so he's centerpiece and this one it's mel gibson but uh but also joaquin is brilliant i love joaquin oh, uh, joaquin so. um yes
0: so women yeah uh next uh people of color uh we just have the vet who
1: is yes Shyamalan, Shyamalan, uh, yeah, and again, it's like there's only really five, six characters. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I it's, it's good representation that way. Really. Yeah, it's <laughs> representation <laughs> ratio wise. Um, yeah, and yeah, I don't know what I think of uh, Shyamalan as a as an actor because I just I, I I find it very difficult to take him seriously just because of the role he. Casts himself in Lady yeah. in the Water, and just because Lady in the Water it could only come from the brain of an absolute madman, like um, absolute and and also um, yeah, I, I really want you to watch it again because it's just so absurd. Mm. Um, and he, yeah, and like, there's something very narcissistic about his writing style, and something really like pretentious about his films as well.
0: But I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Um. um disability. Asthma is probably isn't it? Yeah, um, that's represented. <laughs> it's represented,
1: <laughs> um, but also it's like his his asthma was necessary for him being saved. Yeah. Um, so, so, so positive, <laughs> I guess so. Um, um,
0: and queerness, obviously, no. So do you want to hear my
1: Um go on. <laughs> So the crops are representing oh, no, I'm kidding. So um, they were bent, not broken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um
1: So I think so there's two things. One is although obviously it's not gay, it is a f it is a family with two male figures. Yeah. Um and there's like a there's like a lovely tenderness between Meryl and the kids. Which is, like, a, and you don't normally see, like, a sort of uh, uncle, nephews and nieces kind of, like, tenderness, like, where he's he's adopting quite a maternal role in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is clutching at straws a little bit. But the other thing is, I think, you know, like, how we always bang on about, like, campness in horror films. Mm. I think M. Night Shyamalan's films are really camp. And I think it's, like if there was a, a heterosexual version of camp or a heterosexual male version of camp, because I think straight women are camp anyway, but, like, I think Shyamalan manages to, to have, like, a straight version of campness, which I kind of enjoy. Yeah. And, and it comes from... Um, not to sound wanky, but I will. Please! But one of Susan Sontag's definitions of camp uh, yeah. is yes. when, uh, is when something that is trying to be really serious fails is what camp looks like. And I don't think that is always the case, because I think you can be very self-consciously camp. Yeah. But I think this is a... F- his films, and this is a good example, not as good as The Village or Lady in the Water, but where he just goes so big on, like, symbols and, like, the kind of empty space between dialogue. It's kind of... There's something a bit, like, A-level filmmaker about it. Yeah, yeah. And, like, the script is so laboured. And I kind of enjoy it, because it's, like, it's almost like the script would work better on a stage than it does in a film because it feels kind of like stunted and everything everything has meaning but everything has very like self-conscious meaning i can't really describe it but there's just like a campness about the way he constructs a story
0: yeah i mean i think um, well i mean i i think the fact that, <laughs> that bo leaves all the water around and the wa- water is the thing that kills the aliens is kind of the silliest thing about the whole film, essentially. <laughs> because it's just, like, water. Like, what? Like, See, I don't think that's silly,
1: just because thinking about, I think, because of its connection to, like, previous, like, sci-fi stuff like Dave the Triffids and War of the Worlds, where it's just, like, it's a way of saying, like, no matter how incredible aliens are, like, we have, especially in War of the Worlds, it's like, we as humans have built up immunity to like things like the the, the common cold and things like that and it's we like in, immunity to water <laughs> well but it's like aliens coming to a new place if they don't have water on their but pla- I, I, that doesn't bother me so much i think the cheesier part is the swing away bit and the the hitting it with a bat yeah. um because i think if if you hit a glass of water with a bat not much of that water would go on on the person you were aiming it at yeah. it would just kind of
0: and also like um it doesn't... I mean, like, it doesn't really help anything that he's being him with a bat because he ends up spraying him in the face with the the poison anyway. Um, I don't know, yeah.
1: It's just sort of... A, but I, I think there's something about the, like, laboured na- nature of the... of The, the, the signs. The, yeah, and the whole story, like... And the same with, um, with his later films as well. Everything is so contrived in such a... In such an obvious way. And I think it's... I, I think he was a victim of his own success with the first film because... Sixth Sense is like objectively a very, very good film. Um, maybe a brilliant film. And, so um, and like immediately people read loads into everything he did. And it's like, you know, every time you see the sign red, it means like the color red, it means, and like people really read into the symbology of, uh, yeah. Sixth Sense. And, and he kind of, he, he almost kind of set himself up to fail by having such a brilliant first film because it meant everything then was either going to be compared unfavourably to it or that he would feel obligated in some way to kind of keep the same f- sort of fans interested in the same sort of ways yeah, yeah. by having these kind of like obscure kind of weird connections to be made. Um, yeah, it's most apparent in Lady of the Water, which is Campus tits, but I think, there's, I think there are elements of it in this as well. Yeah. Um, but I like it. I, I like that he does that because I think it sets him apart. I think it makes his films very clearly like, oh, this isn't uh, like a Shyamalan film. It's an absolute Shyamalan.
0: <laughs> of a <the> time, <clears throat> yes. Um, that's some of the representation, isn't mm, it? It is. So uh, we're, we're, we're on to the awards. The awards, yes. Should we do a little song for that? We do a little song. Okay, you lead. No,
1: I'll let you lead. I always lead. No, I always I lead. I always lead. lead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, actually, yours are always a bit mournful. Thank um. you. <laughs> it's time for the
2: awards. I'm
1: not sure that was any less mournful. It's <laughs> <That's> quite dirty. <laughs> You're dirty. Thank you. Um,
0: so, uh, should we say, who should we say is your best character, shall we say? So,
1: my best character is the Stickman
0: alien drawing in the book. Oh, <laughs> mine is also related to the book. And this is the eminent uh, Dr. Bimbo. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Yeah, good choice. Good choice.
1: <laughs> mine is Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington Brothers. <laughs>
0: What's your lols fair? Oh, out of order, is it? Oh, I don't know. It's Spoopiest is normally
1: next. Yeah. It's fine, I don't want to split feathers, split hairs, split feathers. Okay. What no. was the question? Lols. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes lols. I can't remember what... I don't think this was my funniest bit, but this is the bit that comes to mind most, is the bit where he says to the dog, Isabel, you're going to feel very silly when this <laughs> all turns out to be make-believe. Because I like the idea of later Isabel being like... I made a right dick of myself, but then Isabel dies. dies. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So my most false bit is when is briefing um, the father on how to scare the people. Oh yeah, and he's like, I don't want to do it. It seems weird. (laughs) And they're quite. I think this whole scene's quite comedic. Like they're quite funny together. And then like when he's running with us, like. I'm insane with anger! I've lost my mind. <laughs> yeah. I actually think
1: the uh like the 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 cast is really strong. Um like the four main mm. the family in uh and Caroline. Yeah. Um and I think they have really really good chemistry. I think they're like quite a believable family. Agreed. Um so yeah, what now stupidest for you. So uh the party scene. Yeah. But also the first scene where you see the alien on the roof. I remember from first watching, those two bits made me scream.
0: I think, yeah, I think both of those bits are scary. I think the, 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 the person standing on the roof is scariest to me. Because it looks like it could be a person, which is scary enough. Like, there's just a person standing on the roof, like, silhouetted. <gasps> what you
1: and it's really quick as well and
0: kind yeah. of out of the boo. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what was your best staff? Uh, I think probably Colleen's. Ah! Oh, yeah, that's a pretty good
1: one, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, there are only three deaths, aren't there? And only one human death. Uh, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think her death, just because it was quite unique. And it's, ve- again, it's a very, like, camp and laboured storytelling device is her death. The fact that she she's still able to speak as normal. Like, he obviously had to really reach to find a way that there could be someone responsible for it. That it could make him lose his faith, and also that it could have a little chin wag before she died, so she was pinned to the tree, holding all of her organs in place. Like, it's very camp and labored. Yeah,
0: like, it's funny because you hear about that in, like, stories. I don't, and, like, I think I told you that, that story, is really horrific. I think I shouldn't share, actually, on um, the trigger warning someone being mangled to death on the underground. Should I go ahead? Skip ahead a few minutes if you don't want to hear. <laughs> But the story about the person who, like, fell between the, kind of, like, the gap on the underground, and then, like the train went and it just basically spammed their torso and left their legs in place so that they were just basically twisted up. Um And they stopped the train, but he was still alive in the way that Colleen is in the film. And then they call the family down to like say their goodbyes before they go on the train. Um I said that to someone and they were like, that's a lie. And then I was like, I couldn't remember how I heard it from. <laughs> <laughs> I did just make that up. Um,
1: oh, interesting. I was thinking when we were watching it, like I w- I'm sure... It- that he would have, like, researched and had, like, a doctor's advice to find yeah, out if yeah, that yeah. was, like, possible. But, yeah, I think it's it's the best death for, like, storytelling purposes. What's yours?
0: Um, I didn't put one. Yeah, I think this is probably, probably the best
1: death. Yeah, the worst death, I said, the dog.
0: Yeah, I think the beginning dog and the end dog... Well, the beginning just kind of sucks. He has to start them.
1: Yeah, I think the end dog because we just hear him Wimpering. whimpering. Whimpering. Um, I think the alien's death is the one that kind of is the which is the fifth one, fourth one. I the forgot that there were two dogs. Um, yeah, it's neither here nor there. Like it's it, it's fine. He gets wet. He gets wet. Dies.
0: Nice! <laughs> uh, queerest.
1: Uh I think the queerest moment is that these kind of quite androgynous aliens have perfume up their sleeve.
0: Oh that's nice <laughs> yes.
1: But also it's the kind of depiction of a two male household yeah. with kids. I guess there's there's something a little bit kinda of queer about that. What what did you say?
0: I didn't say anything. Oh my god, you haven't really done your work first. No, I was just to copy your answers. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, obviously I think we all know who's sexiest is. Mm, Caroline yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Merrill yes it's Merrill Joachim <laughs> yeah he's so beautiful he's... Oh, we should watch The Village again soon he's lovely in that oh, he's really—he's like lovely. a little sensitive soul in that oh but with, I like with, that. with a big heart big heart
0: big, big throbbing heart on. Yeah, he's he's a sexy beast. Yeah. Um, So, uh, we're all done with that that business. Mm. On to the final business of the adjudication of pumpkins. (laughs) 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 Um, I think you're going to be a generous pumpkin, uh, aren't you? Yeah, do yours first. Uh, oh, I don't you to be angry with me. I won't be angry. I, I, I'm I'm a bit conflicted about this actually. I think I think it's a two maybe two point five pumpkins for me.
1: Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know with this because I, I watching it. Like, my gut response is to give it four pumpkins. <laughs> um, yes, I'm very generous with pumpkins, but I have many pumpkins to spare. <laughs> um, I'm
0: wealthy in pump.
1: <laughs> beaucoup de poup. <laughs> um, because I really love it. Like, I really love watching it. I, I can, I, I I think it stands up to rewatchers. I really like the kind of, like, the theatre of it. I just think there's something really weird about Shyamalan's films that I really, really love. And I think, um, it's not my favourite. I prefer, of his, of his, like, horror films, I prefer Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and The Village. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I think The Village might be my favourite, actually. Um, yeah. An there's... underrated classic, but...
0: Yeah, and the reason that we chose this one is because we haven't really done a sci-fi horror, which is probably... A bit, yeah, I already knew that you super loved Shyamalan going into this, mm. so that was going to be sort of a... Uh, propping up the pumpkins. Um. <laughs> yeah, but but also so, I mean I'm I'm
1: I'm going between 3 and 4 because let's say 3.5. Okay. Because I'm just thinking the first time I watched it I watched it thinking that I'd enjoy it but not be scared of it because I like I enjoy sci-fi stuff, I enjoy alien stuff, but I just don't find aliens a scary thing. But this was the only alien film I think I've watched where I was genuinely very scared. Um yeah. And I also think it's very beautiful. Like, I, I think he's just got a way of, like, make, I like I like to be moved.
0: And I find Wonderful. this very moving. Yeah, so basically my hot take on it is that it's basically, like, matured in a way that it's mellowed over time, essentially. So the, the scares, because of the CGI, and because of, like, we have been kind of, like, scared to death over time by more and more jump scares... That it's kind of mellowed into a quite sweet family film, um, that's uh, sort of almost a comedy, um, uh, with some peril. Um, yeah, like, cause actually, if you think about it, like, the, the drama, there isn't, the main, like, drama doesn't happen until the very end. And the horror is quite subtle, the beginning, if you, yeah, like the stairs. Um, but yeah, it, it for me, it's just, it's quite kind of sweet. Like, I really enjoy it, like, loads. Um, like, it was really fun to rewatch it. Um, but yeah, I just I feel like it's mellowed, like, almost too much. Like, it just does not dated. It's not that it hasn't dated as
1: well, it's just changed. It's just changed, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Because uh, I think, like, especially considering we, it follows us having done Hereditary. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, uh, uh, Ariana Asta. Ariana Asta, that's not his name. <laughs> <laughs> Ariana Aster describes it as a fam- a, f- a family film uh, or a film about family yeah. or a family drama this definitely is yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. that's what it is first and i think that's what i find really charming about it i really really love the whole kind of like like i love apocalypse films anyway like mainly like zombie films and even even though zombie films tend to just focus on a handful of characters there's something much more like global and apocalyptic about them i really like the idea of having this like huge world changing events but just like Zooming in on the absolute micro Like we barely see beyond their house Let alone just following them
0: Oh yeah, That reminds me of that um, Cloverfield follow-up Where they just saw those people living in the bunker Do you remember? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah. That was quite good in that same way actually
1: Yeah, and and that's why I took Dolores Umbridge With the review that I mentioned at the beginning That said that it doesn't leave much to the imagination I think it's 90% imagination Imagining what is happening in the rest of the world like, cause, and then at the end, when uh, when they put the radio on, and Meryl says, "Uh, you know, they've they've killed loads of people. Um, yeah. they uh, they've left their wounded behind." Yeah. And obviously, that's a foreshadow. Oh, I forgot to mention in the plot that the the alien at the end is the one that he chopped the fingers off because we see the fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, which I don't think is necessary. I don't think it, but, um, but yeah. So it the rest of the world didn't have the same experience that that family did because loads of people were killed. Um, so it, I, yeah, I think there's bags of imagine, and like, yeah, we see the alien, but only for 90 seconds in the, in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think yours is a very accurate assessment of it. I think it's completely changed. Um, and I don't think it's dated as well as Unbreakable or as Sixth Sense. And for some reason it's not just the CGI, but I can't put my finger on what else is dated about it.
0: Yeah, it's something about the way that the shots are delivered is not as shocking. I don't, yeah, like it's, yeah, sure.
1: yeah, I also think it's the only one of Shyamalan's films that really does jump scares. Mm. Oh, I forgot about The Visit. We liked The Visit, didn't we? Oh Actually, there's jump is scares that in Shyamalan? that. Yeah, oh. I think that might have been his last horror. Oh, he did Glass <laughs> as well, which was the like follow-up of... Yeah, uh, the, the one with the multiple personalities, but that's I didn't true. really love that. But um, but I like the visit. Um, yeah, the is amazing. I didn't
0: know that was some Yeah, in f- and that
1: scene where the grandma crawls really fast under oh, the crawl space, like I the screamed <laughs> the fucking house down. <laughs> like grandma should walk on two legs. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, three and a half, three and a half pumpkins from me. I uh, will do
0: two
1: and a half. <laughs> Fine, I think that's fair. Thank you. An enjoyable Thanks. film.
0: It's time for the smoothie
2: will. <laughs> <laughs> <Some scanty. laughs>
0: So, um, because we're doing an alien film, I thought I'd talk about a spoopy alien story today. Oh, well
1: done for f- hitting the brief, yes. unlike I <laughs> ever do. I have
0: found a research paper that i showed with you all the phenomenon of uh, single-sex families
1: in, in rural uh,
0: America. Arkansas. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, the spookster cryptid I'm going to be talking about today, um, is known as Injured Cold, or... Ingrid? Ingrid. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's not very scary if it's called Ingrid. <laughs> um, Injured Cold, or The Grinning Man, um i uh, made made uh, Minor Amendments because this is a huge piece uh, that I'm sort of basically copying um, that was on a website called Mysterious Universe, published in 2011. Author unknown.
1: Uh, thank you, Un- uh, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Unknown. <laughs> um,
0: I enjoy the use of his language, so I might be stumbling a little bit over the way he says things because so it's kind of a bit hilarious. Anyway, so on to the, onto the Grinning Man. Um, so, eyewitnesses claim the Grinning Man is a looming figure who stands well over six feet tall. His head is said to be devoid of any hair, i.e. bald. Cumbersome way of saying that. This is the thing, he uses quite cumbersome language. <laughs> um, and his dark, beady eyes are nestled unnaturally far apart on his domed skull. <laughs> um, some observers are perturbed that they are later unable to recall whether he even had a nose or ears. But as disturbing as that may be, far and away his most disconcerting characteristic is the wide, hideous shark like grin that is perpetually plastered across his face. <laughs> a <laughs> a- <laughs> a- <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is me speaking now. Uh, the first time I Hi. heard of him uh, <laughs> was when I was doing a deep dive on the Mothman, who's another one of my favourite cryptids um and uh, the one of the first records uh about the yeah this guy uh was by paranormal investigator John Keel um who did a lot of work around Mothman and uh he mentions this creature in his book The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings. Uh, I
1: like the idea of uh of Mothman being like a like a sort of like a Jewish surname uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Mothman.
0: <laughs> Um, so, the, the first encounter with uh, this, this guy uh, was, uh, w- occurred in a place called Elizabeth, New Jersey, at <laughs> um, approximately 9.45 um, <laughs> on the night of the October 11th, uh, 1966. Two boys, uh, Martin Mouse Munov and James Jimmy Yangchis. Uh, Jimmy handkerchief. <laughs> we're walking home along New, uh, along New Jersey and Fourth Street when they turned onto a road that ran adjacent to the elevated New Jersey Turnpike. Um, there was a treacherously steep thirty foot slant running from the hectic Turnpike above them all the way down to the tall wire fence that ran parallel to the route that Mouse and Jimmy were walking. God, I feel like I'm there. Yeah. It's really, I'm like, yeah. I find it really hard to imagine what he's talking about because there's so many words. The decline <laughs> on the other, <laughs> Too long, didn't we? Uh, <laughs> uh, the decline on the other side of the fence was so steep that the boys had never even seen anyone in attempt to scale it, nor had anyone ever seen anyone on the opposite side of the the r- rusted fence <laughs> except for this night <sighs> I bet it was the grinning man well uh, both Mouse and Jimmy uh, were nervous as they slipped in and out of pools of light cast by the street, street lamps above as they heard that the neighbourhood woman had been chased by a tall green man earlier that evening in the same area little could the boys predict when they stopped to catch their breath a few moments later that their date with the unknown was about to begin <laughs> Um, it was Jimmy who first noticed The ominous humanoid figure Standing in the Thrick, sh- thrick shrub It's quite fast If he managed to spit on me A thick shrub Behind Bush behind uh, brush. A Bush <laughs> The thick shrub brush Behind Mouse on the opposite side of the fence um, He appeared to be ignoring the boys And staring at a house across the road Jimmy would later describe him for both the police and Keel. Um, he was the strangest guy I've ever seen. <laughs> he was standing behind that fence. I didn't even know how he got there. He was the biggest man I ever saw. Um, the anxious Jimmy wasted no time in alerting the unwary pal about the scary silhouette that was stationed behind him. Mouse slowly turned and saw a huge figure clad in a green one-piece suit that seemed to be <laughs> reflecting the streetlight above. You know what I'm imagining? <laughs> Sorry for the reference to those of you who don't watch it, but you know
1: on Drag Race where Candy wore that like green sort of lycra onesie suit with a little alien on her back? That was it, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, uh, Master the Count, um, in his report to the police, said, Jimmy nudged me and said, Who's that guy standing behind you? I looked around and there he was, behind the fence, just standing there. He pivoted around and looked right at us, and then he grinned a big old grin. Hi! Hi. <laughs> um The two young men listened to their fight-or-flight instinct and wasted no time in exiting the scene behind the eerie uh, emerald unflighted. apparition. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Sounds like Dr. <laughs> I know. Uh, before he could scale the fence and take pursuit. Um... Just three days after their unusual encounter, Keel arrived at the scene with UFO investigator James Mosley and famed actor and paranormal enthusiast Chuck McCann. I don't recognise that name, but apparently he's an actor. Um, the boys were interviewed individually in the home of one George Smythe, and according to Keel gave identical accounts of the event. Keel described what Mouse and Jimmy had said. The man was over the six feet toil, Six feet toil. Uh, They agreed, and was dressed in a sparkling green coverall costume that shimmered and seemed to reflect the streetlights. That's pretty gay. I mean, okay. uh, yeah. It was, <laughs> there was a wide black belt cinching around the waist. Uh, around his waist. He, he was he was snatched up <laughs> still. Um, he had very dark complexion and little round eyes. -hmm. A real beady, uh, (laughs) set far apart. They could not remember seeing any hair, ears, or nose on this figure. Um, It was. It kind of actually, when I was reading the description, it kind of reminded me of those monsters in um, our favourite film, New Mutants. Anyway, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't long before the boys bizarre tale spread through the neighborhood and folks began to speculate that this so-called grinning man might be associated with a UFO sighting that occurred exactly the same time, just 40 miles north of Elizabeth near DuPont. Um, explosives factory outside Pompton Lakes. Um, <laughs> the initial eyewitness to this event were a police officer and his wife. Um, the officer and his spouse watched in amazement as the object, which they described as resembling a blazing white light as big as a car, um, nearly hit the, like, uh, nearly hit an almost 600 foot tall, uh, television tower before vanishing over nearby hills at a leisurely pace. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, what am I? <laughs>
0: um, As they weren't credible enough witnesses on the opposite side of the hill, two additional police officers would catch more than a glimpse of this incredible airborne anomaly. This guy loves what they call those two. Alliteration. Yeah. Um, The officer in question were patrolman uh, Edward Wester and Sergeant Benjamin Thompson of the Wanaki Reservoir Police. Uh, The pair watched as the luminous UFO soared over the reservoir at a low altitude, Sergeant Thompson was later quoted as stating, The light was brilliantly white. The light was brilliantly white. <laughs> it was lit up the whole area for about 300 yards. In fact, it blinded me when I got out of the patrol car to look at it, and I couldn't see for about 20 minutes afterwards. <laughs> um, it was due to be this, possibly coincidental incident that the Grinning Man phenomenon would become forever associated with UFOs and extraterrestrial entities. (laughs) That's easy for you to (laughs) say. (laughs) (laughs) While this might be the first incident that helps certify this creature's connection to the realm of ufology, it would not be the last. The second series of incidents that kill credits as being part of the Grinning Man phenomenon also occurred in 1966, this time around the Mothman's reign... Mothman? (laughs) uh, ...of terror in Point Pleasant, West Virginia... While the Grinning Man often gets lost in the furore surrounding this infamous winged beast, for researchers who have studied this astounding series of events, one figure looms almost as tall as the Mothman itself. That figure is the Grinning Man! (laughs) That's a roundabout way of getting there. (laughs) He called himself Indrid Cold. Um on November... so, so the Grinning Man called himself In Injured Cold. Injured Cold. Yeah. Um it's funny as well if like you Google like there's a picture of Injured Cold, like that apparently is just a photograph of him. And he just looks like a normal dude. Anyway, whatever. And this is supposed to be the grinning man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um so on November second, ninety 1966 less than a month after Mouse and Jimmy had their disturbing encounter, sewing machine salesman Woodrow Derenberger uh, <laughs> was driving home on a hilly interstate at uh, 7 after a long day of work when suddenly uh, a bizarre vehicle dropped down from the dark sky and landed on the road in front of him with a tremendous crashing sound um, the vehicle was unlike anything that Derenberger had ever seen before he described it as a king <laughs> this is so weird an old fashioned kerosene lamp chimney flaring at both ends narrowing down to a small neck and then enlarged in a great bulge in the centre. Same. <laughs> I uh, think this is, this
1: is sometimes one of those cases where maybe just draw a picture. Yeah. <laughs> that
0: was a sad story. <laughs> sorry, I can't make uh, that mean anything. <laughs> it was bulbous and then slim in a kerosene lamp. And a chimpany. <laughs> chimpany. A, chimpany. <laughs> um, like a chimpany. Chimpany chimpany. What's it going to look like with a chimpanzee? on it? <laughs> um, Uh, The startled Derenberger slammed on the brakes of his old panel truck and screeched to a halt. That's when things started to get really weird. A hatch stood open on the side of the mystery vehicle before him and a tall, dark-skinned man climbed out. The salesman later described him as having slightly elongated eyes, but his most notable tribute was the wide, creepy grin, which Derenberger claimed he could see glinting in his truck's headlights. Um in fact one of the few disparities between the frightening Grinning man described by Mouse and Jimmy and the one we see by Derenberger, is later described as the humanoid's clothes is blue instead of green, which I think is quite a minor point. Well and also <laughs> <coughs> you don't have to wear the same clothes The <laughs> Man has the whole outfit cinched in <laughs> beautiful. Um so, uh, much like the New Jersey Grinning Man, his clothes are reflective and made of material that the appliance salesman noted was quite shiny and had a glistening effect. Mm-hmm. Um, Daraberg claimed that this Grinning Man telepathically communicated with him and asked him a series of odd questions. Sadly I don't have any of the old questions, I really wish I did. It's like how much for a sewing machine? <laughs> I need to put together a new garment for the it's runway. A challenge. <laughs> <New challenge. laughs> um So uh, following this abnormal institute, the en- Abnormal Interlude, the entity simply stated that my name is Cold. I will be visiting you again. No thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> Cold then returned to his unusual vehicle, which um, uh, launched into, from the interstate and soared up into the sky. Uh, following this wild encounter, both Derenberger and several other Point Pleasant residents were claimed to have had additional run-ins with the infamous injured Cold. Um, eventually, Derenberger would reveal that Cold informed him that he was an alien from the planet Lanolos, uh, which is nested in the galaxy of Geminides. Oh, I know it well. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and he would that Cold had taken him to his home planet where he saw people wearing colourful shorts. Um, and all the words... <laughs> <In> Bermuda. <laughs> and all the words on signs appeared to be in a squiggly oriental-like writing. Mm. That's his words, not mine. Um, Cold was... It's funny because I feel like uh, like those,
1: like... D- Japanese and Chinese and like like Mandarin and yeah, yeah, yeah. characters—they're not squiggly; they're quite sort of like linear. Yeah, it um, hmm, just sounds like racism.
0: Yeah, it does. Cold was soon followed by two other grinning men called Demo Hassan and Carl Ardo. Uh was <laughs> so weird. Like they got like sort of <laughs> human names? I know, the, the weird thing is, you just don't hear these kinds of stories anymore. Like, what well, is this elaborate, like, a drawn out alien stories? Anyway, um, so um, Derenbo's wife even met them and <laughs> <laughs> believed their agenda was an evil one. Um, sadly, it wasn't long after these events that his wife divorced him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like your alien friends. You've uh, changed since you started hanging out with
1: these. I'll no longer good. be Mrs. Darren Berger.
0: <laughs> uh, Darren would go on to co author a book about his experiences titled Visitors from Lanulos uh, with Harold W. Hubbard, uh, who isn't actually related to L. Ron Hubbard, sadly, which I thought he might mm-hmm. be. Anyway, um, another more unnerving encounter uh, with what Keel speculates might be a grinning man also occurred in Point Pleasant during that same period. Uh, The terrifying event transpired at the rural home of the Lily family. Um, The Lilies were dealing with frightening poltergeist-like activity, as well as seeing peculiar lights in the sky above their home on a nightly basis. According to Miss Lily... Miss Lily... Um, We've seen all kinds of strange things. Blue lights, green ones, red ones. Things have changed colour. Some have been so low that we thought we could see diamond-shaped windows in them, and none of them make any noise at all. Oh, Miss Lily, you've (laughs) painted quite the picture, Miss Lily. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I was (laughs) there. The incident involving the Grinning Man, however, did not happen to the entire family, but focused on Lily's daughter, Linda. Um, The the young lady confided in Keel was at the scene chronicling the entire Mothman uproar that she had woken up one night to see a hulking figure leering down at her while she was in bed. Okay. Um, in his own words, It was a man, a big man, uh, very broad. I couldn't see his face very well, but I could see that he was grinning at me. He walked around the bed and stood right over me. Mm, it sp- sounds less connected to the other one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I screamed again and hid under the covers. When I looked again, he was gone. Uh, Linda then ran into her mother's room, shrieking hysterically, There's a man in my room! There he is! Uh, <laughs> she refused to sleep alone for the months following the encounter. Okay. Um, After a very obvious human break in. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so like, serious as way, a colourful life. No, very <laughs> obvious human break in. Okay. Uh, the, Whether the figure leaving above Linda on the fateful eve was injured Cole, um, another grinning man, a ghostly phantasm, or just a figment of their imagination? It's hard to say. Been a say while out. since I've had a ghostly phantasm, <laughs> <laughs> but it's difficult not to speculate that, much like in the Elizabeth, New Jersey incident, the strange light soaring above Lily's home might have something. other the Lily home, sorry, um, might have something to do with the appearance of the seemingly sinister, smiling fiend. Um, Just say Grinning Man <laughs> uh, This is sort to a wild and utterly fascinating theory that I stumbled across Which implies that injured cold in particular And Grinning Man in general May be delegates of a sort of paranormal or possible intergalactic police force That spontaneously appear in the area of anomalous events In order to keep the peace Or simply observe the proceedings as they unfold um, was, is this your your jurisdiction? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what is this Mothman? I'm here o- to check. Officer it out. Ingrid Cold. <laughs> uh, another hypothesis speculates that Cold might be a representative of the notoriously secretive group known as the Men in Black, uh, men in which were uh, uh, alleged encounters throughout the region during the Mothman. It's is this a Mothman flap, lol. What, meaning what? Just like the furore, the flap. Oh, that was weird. Um, Oh, I've come over all queer, I'm having a Mothman flap. Um, to ensure that New Jersey and West Virginia would have had, wouldn't have all the fun, in 1966 and 1967 there was a short wave of encounters with beady-eyed, wide mouthed giant prowler with a fixed grin in Provincetown, Massachusetts. <laughs> um undeniably there were some who uh believe that the entire grinning man phenomenon ought to be dismissed due to the fact that all the cases were presented by Keel, who, as all writers do, uh appear uh, applied their own biases while connecting dots at the time. Only Lucy associated. While well, this may be true, there's at least one other case involving a grinning man and a UFO ducty, as far as I know, that Keel never chronicled. Um I've trimmed this bit down, but surprisingly, even though I don't smoke <laughs> it But, um, but yeah, because it goes on for a while. But um, this case is uh, uh, Pierre Zanfretti, a 26-year-old night watchman. I thought um, you meant
1: that was the name, the alien gave. <laughs> Hello, I'm Pierre Zanfretti. Uh, good friends with Ingrid <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> Ingrid Coleman, that's not a name, is it? <laughs> it's an actress. Um, <laughs>
0: And, um, so, yeah, so he was a night watchman who had multiple abductions, uh, one involving the Grinning Man, who appeared, uh, who apparently telepathically told him to drive his car into a cloud, which transported him onto a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more detail in that story, which is hilarious, it's like he said that he saw, like, a frog-bodied alien, and they said it was just, like, they were, they were there, there. Uh, an enemy's captured one anyway um, uh,
1: beware of the frog bodied beast I'm a frog body (laughs) Um,
0: another blogger known as HR Zapruder uh, posted a very brief encounter with his uh, believed to be a grinning man uh, while driving near Roswell New Mexico in April 2009 so recently recently um so he said, I drove past a man standing in the brush. I don't i to say, brush. Do we say brush? No. Um, I thought he was hitchhiking, so I sped past. You know, hitchhikers equals bad news. Anyway, I didn't think much of it at first as I sped by. I noticed that he had a green glistening... Uh, uh, oh, wait. Sorry, I read that wrong. I noticed a green glistening, so I inspected the rearview mirror. I saw the man from behind. He was bald and over six feet tall, wearing a sparkling green jacket. (laughs) The rest was obscured by the brush. When I arrived in town, I was told by the locals that I'd just missed a UFO.
1: I'm thinking (laughs) tall, thin, bald, sparkling jacket. Was this workroom RuPaul? (laughs) It's, like, it's not Ingrid <laughs> Cold. it's, it's really RuPaul. Cold. Oh, maybe. I think it, I think we've solved it. We've solved it. Uh, <laughs>
0: um, so I think this is uh, the final uh, report of Grinning Man, you'd be pleased to hear. Um, <laughs> and um, then there were a hundred more sightings. Another, and then there was another one. <laughs> um, another strange report uh, hails from author AJ DeChara who told of his sister's harrowing experience with a grinning man in the late 1980s. She was driving to a rural home in Connecticut in a dark autumn eve, and she claimed that an entity drove up next to her in what she described as a phantom car with an eerie glow. She looked over and she saw what she described as a hideous creature staring at her, with glowing yellow eyes and a toothy grin which terrified her. As quickly and mysteriously as it appeared, the strange vehicle vanished, this incident served as an inspiration for her brother's fictional novel, The Grinning Man. Um, mm. So, yeah, he goes on to hypothesise about what it could be. um, and, um mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've solved it. So I'm <laughs> the final four paragraphs of his thinking. Um, but it's basically saying, like, is it from another dimension? Is it a demon? Is it supernatural? Uh, Who knows? Is it Intergalactic Space Police? Yeah. Or ACAB? I love This is my favourite, actually. It's like, even in the already bizarre world of UFOlogy, cryptozoology, and the plain old paranormal, the Grinning Man remains one of the most confounding, obscure, and outright terrifying legends in all the annals of the supernatural. In the supernatural (laughs) annals. Yeah. But whatever these things may turn out to be, I hope like hell I never run into one. <laughs> <laughs> so know, it's like, like it sounds fairly benign though. Like it's yeah it doesn't sound like it does anything I mean like I wouldn't like to be abducted necessarily but um just smiles at you in yeah a and then takes you to his planet with the colourful shorts yeah <laughs> and it's like, like asks you funny questions telepathically yeah I kind of like the sound of it he's an icon <laughs> in his little gay jacket <laughs> and yes that's the story of the grinning
1: man thank have you have you ever met the grinning man <laughs> <laughs> I have met RuPaul um, no but I think he sounds fine I'm not I'm not terrified by him I'm not mad at him no um I like the idea that like um these cryptids like the Mothman are not just an earthly problem there are also other creatures (laughs) from other planets coming just like who is this what
2: are you doing here Mothman Mothman shoo Mothman shoo
1: Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Bloody Mary's podcast.
0: And that's Mary's with a Z. And thanks for our theme tune from uh, The Pink Pound. Uh, You can follow them at The Pink Pound Sound. And if
1: you're enjoying Bloody Mary's, please like, subscribe and share with all your friends.